I've told Chris he's got freedom to say what he likes today, uh, which is always dangerous. He's got a prophetic gifting, so he could go anywhere. Um, so let's see what happens, shall we? Yeah, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you've been speaking to us already. We thank you that we've been able to sing and reflect and read scripture. But, Lord, we want to sit and hear from you. We want your word to go deep into our hearts today. And I pray for Chris that um, he'd have fun and be free delivering your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Yes. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, It's really good to be with you uh, this morning. I think the last time I was here was maybe about two, three years ago. Um, So it's a miracle that Pastor Stuart has invited me back. And when he phoned me up and asked me to come, I thought, blow, I'm going to have to write another sermon now because I've only got the one, like, you know. Um, I want to bring greetings from the Bridge Church. We are based in Buckhurst Hill, um, but we, we our, our kind of, the area that we feel God's called us to is, is Woodford, you may know Ilford, those around that sort of area, and uh, God is good, isn't he? And God is faithful in all that he does, and uh, I, actually, I actually met Nathan properly for the first time last week, and uh, uh, Stuart had contacted me at the end of last year and said that he may be coming over to our area, and... Um, so I've been looking out for him week in, week out, and missing him every week. And everyone's been coming, oh, yeah, I've met this guy, Nathan. He's a really good guy, you know. And he started go, he was going to go along to our young adults group, and then he was going to get involved in this. And I'm saying, I still haven't met this guy. So I met him properly last week. And, uh, yeah, really nice guy. So uh, hopefully he, he, he can get kind of plugged in with us, and we'll be a home for him so that he can grow. It's been good this morning, good to hear God's word being brought in so many different ways. And I think that's really important. And I, you know, I just want to add something to the, to the very first word that was, that was brought this morning. Uh, and forgive me, I don't, you know, Stuart has given me license to say what I want to say. And sometimes I say things that it's not intended to be offensive to anybody in any way, but I just feel that I need to share what God puts on the heart. And uh, <clears throat> the gentleman at the right at the very beginning, when he got up and he shared about going through the fire. And uh, God just, God always talks to me a little bit differently sometimes and I've got a word for all of you who are not going through the fire and it's this why are you not going through the fire I'm being serious if if you're not in some way coming into conflict coming into resistance if you're not in some way under the heat of life and under the opposition of what's going on then then you have to have a little look at where your faith is going. We've, we've been going through a series at the bridge. I've started this year just going through the Beatitudes. And, and I've, I've got to say, I've had a real ball. I've just loved studying the Beatitudes in a new way, in a, in a different way, trying to get underneath it and hear what Jesus was saying through it. And I called it uh, the Manifesto of Happiness because it's all about, if you want to live a happy life, Jesus says, here's the eight ways, Matthew 5, here's the eight ways that you really are, you know, you can be happy. And, of course, one of those things is persecution. He says, blessed are those who are persecuted uh, for righteousness' sake. And uh, so, actually, it's normal. Jesus said in Matthew 18, he said, he said, in this world you will have, come on, you all know it, don't you? In this world you will have, but fear not because I have. It's good to be in a church that knows their word. But, hey, 
you know, sometimes we go, oh, you know, I've, become, I've, I've tried to do this. I tried to make the right decision here. I tried to stand up for Jesus in my school or tried to stand up for Jesus in my workplace, share my faith, wanted to pray with somebody, something like that. And all it's done is got me into trouble. Oh, dear, whoa, whoa, whoa. And, 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 and the Bible's screaming at you this morning, yeah. So that's normal. That's what it's about. Your faith should, must continually be bringing you into conflict. Not that you're the Bible-bashing loony that nobody wants to speak to in the office. We're not talking about that kind of extreme religiousness. But we are talking about, actually, there's something about us. You know the Bible says, don't you? John, John, uh, sorry, John chapter 1 says, Light can't coexist with darkness. And so whenever you carry light into any environment, you are going to come into conflict with the darkness that's around you. So if you're going through the fire right now, then God bless you, you're in the right place. That's where God wants you to be. And I'm, and I'm not trying to be insensitive because I understand that, you know, maybe some of you are really, you know, going through some tough times, etc. But I just want to stand with you this morning and say, hey, that's where you should be. That's where all of us should be to some degree or another. So take courage. And if you're not going through the fire, take a look at where you're at. Are you taking enough steps of faith? Are you really risking it for the name of Jesus? Because that's the place that he wants us to be. I would encourage you um, with that this morning. And of course, we heard about God is able. And uh, we've, we've heard that been said a lot this morning. God is able. God is able. We, we, you know, I believe God is able. The Bible says God is able. We sing choruses that say God is able, but I'm always questioning myself, able to do what? What, is, what are we actually talking about? Yes, we know that God is able to create the world. We know that God is able to part the sea. We know that God is able to throw the mountain into the ocean. We know that, but what are we really talking about? God is able to change you, and God is able to use you. And I think for you and for me in this current generation, as we are seeking to be followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus, I think we really need the power of God and the presence of the Holy Spirit so that first he can change us and then he can use us. And I want to share a little bit about that really this morning with you. and, and as I was sat there, I was just making a, actually a couple of notes, and I, I just felt the Lord just draw me to Hebrews 11. Most of you will know if you've been in church at any length of time or you know anything of your Bible, you will know about famous Hebrews 11. Famous Hebrews 11 is the, is the chapter of faith. You know, faith is the evidence of things hoped for. Uh, uh, yeah, the evidence of... the. Uh, what is it? Come on, you're a, you're, a, you're a Bible scholar. Faith is the evidence of things hoped for, the, the, something of something or else. But he goes on, that wasn't the bit I read, see? I, it goes on and, and, and starts to highlight all of the great heroes of faith. It says, by faith, Abraham did this. By faith, Isaac did this. By faith, Jacob did this. By faith, Moses did this. And it has this big, long, who's who's list of the heroes of faith. And I felt God provoke within me to ask you a question as I start this morning. And it's this. Do you think you deserve to be on that list? Do you think that you could rub shoulders with Moses, with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob, with Joseph, with Gideon, 
I mean, throw, who, who, put your hand up if you're bold enough to think you could be on that list this morning. Of the great heroes of faith. We're not sure, are we? Some of us are not sure because we don't want to appear to be kind of too overconfident. We don't want to appear to be arrogant and put our hands up and all of that. Listen, there was a couple of other very interesting names on there. Rahab. Rahab was a prostitute. Rahab did nothing other than look after the spies when they came into the city. That's all she did. And she found her way into this who's who of the great biblical heroes of faith. So I ask you that question this morning. Do you think you deserve to be on that list? Do you think that you have the capacity? Do you think you have the calling? Do you think you have whatever you need to be able to be on that list? Do you think you've done enough to be on that list? Maybe we can look at that a little bit this morning. I want to encourage you because I, I really believe this, that God uses ordinary people. And I think the biggest lie that we've swallowed in church and perhaps one of the saddest things as I see around is that we have, we have delegated all initiative and all authority to the quote-unquote professionals when actually the people that are going to transform our communities don't stand on platforms, don't play instruments and hold microphones. They're you and me, ordinary people. And I, really, I just want to share with you and encourage you for a few moments this morning uh, about that. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, we read these, these words. God has given each of you a gift. Say with me that. God has given each of you a gift. Turn to the person next to you and say, you are one of those each. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts... So use them well to serve one another. Every one of you has been given a gift. God has a variety of gifts. God has enough gifts. He's got gifts coming out of his ears. Okay, he's got enough to build his church. He's got enough to reach this community. He's got enough to transform our world. It's all there. He's got it all. He says, so use them to serve one another. And I want to talk a little bit about initiative this morning and, and the fact that God has given each and every one of you the gift of initiative. We don't think so because we sit in the chair most weeks and, you know, we come to church and then we go about our normal life business the rest of the week. But I'm here to tell you this morning, God has given you a gift and it's the gift of initiative, the gift to start something, the gift to keep something moving, the gift to make a difference in some way in your life. You may not be up here, you may not be playing an instrument, but God has given each one a gift. Are you using it well? Are you using it for his glory and to fulfill his purpose? One of my um, long-term favorite sitcoms, I'm sure you'll, you'll have heard of this and maybe some of you, it's, it's apparently the most, the most well-loved sitcom in the UK and it's Only Fools and Horses and I'm a big follower of Only Fools and Horses probably a little bit too much sometimes Um, and Del Boy of course has all these catchphrases doesn't he okay he says you know you plonker Rodney or lovely jubbly or the the iconic you know 
this time next year, Rodney, we'll go on to be millionaires. You know, we, 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 we've heard all of those things. And another one of Dell's personal mottos was this. He who dares, Rodney, he who dares. You see, Dell never had a shortage of initiative. Okay, he lacked in many, many other areas, but Dell Boy never lacked in the area of initiative. And, and if you're a follower of Only Fools and Horses, you'll know that most of Dell's plans, most of the initiative that he took ended in disaster. We all remember the glass chandelier, don't we? And we all remember, play it cool, Trig, play it cool. But he was never short of initiative. But most of the time, the steps that he took ended up in failure, hilarious disaster. But that's the point. The point is this, that taking bold steps has a risk of failure attached. And that's why it requires something called initiative. Initiative sees potential and it acts even though it can't always see the outcome. It's an inner awareness that there is a solution or a breakthrough that exists outside of the containment of our immediate circumstances. And that if we had the courage to step and pursue it, we could experience something far beyond what we are currently experiencing. And God has given that gift to every single one of you. It's God's gift of empowerment to every human being, I believe. It's part of our creational mandate. What did God say to Adam in the garden right at the very beginning? He said, go and, yeah, go and multiply. He said, you, you are in authority of dominion over this garden, which represents the whole of the world. Now you go, you, you tend the garden, you, you subdue it and be fruitful. And what has happened? Over those many thousands of years, what's happened is that now we have churches that are full of people who are just coming, sitting, listening, going, and not actually doing what God has called us to do. We're scared of, 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 the, of the, the, the two-letter word, go. You know, Matthew 20, 28, 19, Jesus said, go into all the world. And we struggle with that. We'd rather stay. We'd rather sit. We'd rather be comfortable. Thank you very much. But God has given us a gift of initiative. Every single one of you, whether you've been a Christian for five minutes or whether you've been a Christian for 50 years, God is saying, I have something that I I have a gift for you and I want you to fulfill that gift. And and, and it's not for us to sit back and go, ah, well, you somebody else because they're far better at that than I am. We've got to say, okay, God, what is it that you want me to do? What is it that you want me to do? You see, when we read the New Testament, we, we see a church that was, that was being steered by the apostles, not being driven by the apostles. Have you ever noticed that? You read Acts chapter 2, verse 42, and, and, and we read those words that, that the people devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to breaking of bread, to prayer, and to fellowship. Those four things. 
But it says the people devoted themselves. You know, the apostles didn't go around and say, right, you've got to come to this meeting. You've got to come to that meeting. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. You've got to do the other. Everything was new. Everything was up for grabs. But there was a divine spark. There was a divine initiative within the people that they devoted themselves to the things that God had called them to. And I, and I don't, well, perhaps we do know some of the things that have happened over the, over the centuries. You know, uh, t- in 323 AD, we know that, uh, that the, Roman, um, the Roman government at that time, they adopted the Christian faith and it became, uh, it became part of, 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 of the Roman way. And obviously, you know, we, we now know that as Roman Catholicism. And, and they began to build buildings and they began to formalize religion. And this wonderful, vibrant wellspring of life and initiative and inspiration, which, you know, which was started on the day of Pentecost and spread throughout the world, gradually just became this kind of collection of people. And then they appointed the professionals. They decided there were going to be some were going to be professionals and some were going to be amateurs. Remember, an amateur built the ark and professionals built the Titanic, as somebody once said. And there's this divide that took place in those early centuries. You know, this, cl- this clergy and laity divide that began to arise. And, and we're still living in that today. Okay, we may be a bit more modern, a little bit more sophisticated. Um, but really, the reality is that most of us, 95% of us in church really are not pursuing the things that God wants them to pursue because they're thinking that's the job for everybody else who's called to it. I hate the term full-time ministry. You're, full-time, you're in full-time ministry. It might be that you're in the school or in a college. It might be that you're working in a hospital. It might be that you're working in an office somewhere or a warehouse somewhere. It doesn't change the fact you're in full-time ministry. We're just in full-time paid ministry, low-paid ministry. But I want to try and get this idea over to you this morning with the few minutes that I have, that we have fallen into this trap. We have abdicated initiative, authority, drive, vision to leaders only. And I want to try and blow this out of the water a little bit this morning and give you the permission to begin to seek God for the gift that he's given you and say, God, I'm just not going to sit back and do nothing. I'm going to pursue what you have for me. And it may be as simple as writing a card to somebody. God, just put somebody on my heart. Give me a word for somebody. Let me start to write a card. Let me invite my next door neighbor around for a cup of coffee and a cup of tea. Is that as important as you know, a worldwide traveling evangelist standing in front of thousands and, you know, preaching and seeing people, you know, blowing in the mic and seeing people fall over. Is it as important as that? Because we look at them and go, oh, well, they're the ones that are on this list in, in Hebrews 11. And God's saying, no, if I've called you to make a cup of tea for your neighbor and you make a couple of tea for your neighbor, you've been faithful. So we've got to, you know, we've got to kind of get a hold of this this morning. God uses Ordinary people, not just the superstars. I mean, look at Jesus, who he chose to be around him. Jesus had three years to to fulfill his mission. He didn't go for the religious elite. He didn't go for the powerful businessmen. He didn't go for the qualified academics. 
Jesus went for the fishermen. He went for the tax collectors. He had a doctor in there, of course, because health and safety, you've got to have a doctor in your team, you know. But you, you know what I'm saying. He didn't go for the ones that everybody else would have gone to, uh, for. You may have heard this before. I find this is really great. It's a, it's, it's a memo. And I want you to imagine that uh, Jesus had hired uh, a management consultant company to make a report on all the people that were part of his leadership team. And uh, it's the memo that he would have got back from that place. Memo to Jesus, son of Joseph, carpenter shop Nazareth, from Jordan Management Consultants, Jerusalem. Dear sir, thank you for submitting the resumes of the 12 men that you have picked for management positions in your new organization. All of them have now taken our battery of tests And we've not only run the results through our computer, but also we've arranged personal interviews for each of them with our psychologist and our vocational aptitude consultant. It's our opinion that most of the nominees are lacking in background, education, and vocational aptitude for the type of enterprise that you are undertaking. They do not have a team uh, concept. We would recommend that you continue your search for persons of experience in managerial ability and, and proven capability. Simon Peter is emotionally unstable and given to many fits of temper. <clears throat> Excuse me. Andrew is far too emotional <clears throat> and has absolutely no leadership qualities whatsoever. Sorry, can I grab a glass of water? Sorry. <coughs> Qualities of leadership. The two brothers, James and John, thank you, the sons of of Zebedee, they place their personal interest above company loyalty. Thomas demonstrates a questioning attitude that would tend to undermine morale. And we feel it's our duty to tell you that Matthew has been blacklisted by all the Greater Jerusalem Better Business Bureau James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus definitely have radical leanings, and they both registered high on our manic-depressive scale. One of the candidates, however, shows great potential. He's a man of great ability and resourcefulness. He meets people well and has a keen business mind and has contacts in high places. He is highly motivated, ambitious, and responsible. We recommend that Judas Iscariot, as your controller and your right-hand man, all the other profiles are self-explanatory. We wish you all the very best in your new venture. Sincerely, yours. Think about the people that Jesus used. A rag-tag bunch of fishermen, tax collectors, you know, ne'er-do-wells, the, the, the kind of people that you just would not see as being the spearhead of a movement that was going to change the world, and he changed the world. Now, if he can do that with them, God can fulfill his purpose through you and through me. And, of course, when we then bring that together, God fulfills his purpose. So I've got four people I want to just look at very, very briefly this morning. Um, and, and, and to encourage you, because God always works in and through the ordinary to exact change and make you extraordinary. Let me ask you a question. Are you ordinary or are you extraordinary? Who thinks you're ordinary? 
Who thinks you're extraordinary? Who thinks you're both? That's the reality. We are both ordinary, and yet with God we can do extraordinary things. But we've got to get this in here. You've got to get this in here. You've got to get this to renew the way that you think. You know, Romans chapter 12 says that, that we are renewed. You know, he wants us not to be conformed, but to be transformed. And then he tells us how we're transformed. The only way that you bring transformation is by the renewal of the mind. And you know, the goal of the gospel is not to get you into heaven. You know that, don't you? The goal of the gospel is not to get you into heaven. The goal of the gospel is to transform us into the image of Christ. That's the goal of the gospel. And that's what God wants to do in your life and in my life. And that means that I am both ordinary and extraordinary at the same time. Let me give you four people. We'll look very quickly at them. And, and the first one is Gideon, God's unlikely hero. If you was to read through Judges 6, we haven't got time to do that, but Judges 6, uh, verse 1 through to 16, you'll read the story of Gideon. Gideon was an obscure farmer, okay, hiding away. There was, there was conflict going on around. They were under, in conflict with a, with a, with a, with a nation called the Midianites. And uh, Gideon had completely withdrawn himself from what was going on. The Bible tells us that he was in a, uh, a wine press threshing wheat. Now, normally you would thresh wheat outside. You don't thresh wheat on the inside. But in order that he didn't get, you know, he wanted to keep his head down and not get sort of caught out by what was going on around him. He's hiding away in a wine press and he is just going about his business. And in verse 11, we read this. The angel of the Lord came to Gideon, sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Ab... something right, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. The Lord comes to where he is. There's no great call up the mountain for Gideon, unlike Moses. There's no great pilgrimage. There's no great audience with God. This was not a Moses encounter. There was no smoke. There was no thunder. God simply comes to where Gideon is getting on with his business, keeping his head down, just, just staying out of the, of the gunfire that was going on around him, and he speaks over his life. We don't read of there being any great sense of destiny over Gideon's life. We just read about Gideon sitting in this wine press doing this. There's no kind of Gideon, the one that God had somehow earmarked or prophesied over years before. There's no sense of destiny over his life. There's no special one calling. We don't read that he went to Bible college before he did what he was doing. He was just there doing it, keeping his head down, keeping his profile low, trying to stay under the radar of what was going on around him. And God comes to him. God comes to him. God will come to you. God has come to you. God is coming to you again and again and again and saying, hey, how about you? How about you stepping out of your comfort? So we had a very powerful word in our prayer week towards the end of last year about stepping out of our comfort zones. And one of our prayer nights, I just felt a real kind of moving of the Holy Spirit to begin to call some things out. And I said, I believe there's people in this room this morning, uh, this evening who've got a book in them. 
You know, you, you know God's given you a book. You've wanted to write a book, but you've not been able to step forward. Two people stepped forward and said, actually, I've been thinking that. We prayed over them. We prophesied over them. One of them started writing that book now. I said to somebody else, there's somebody else here, and, and, and you've always wanted to play an instrument. And, 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 you, and I feel God is saying, now's the time to take that step and just begin to play that instrument. The most unlikely person in the room came to me afterwards and said, I've been thinking about this over the last few weeks. This is really what I want to do. And again and again and again, and she started playing the guitar. Again and again and again, we've had people come back and saying, you know, pray over us. And we prayed over many, many people to say, come on, step out of your comfort zone and begin to step in to what God has for you. And here's Gideon hiding away from the situation. And God comes to him. And then God addresses him in verse 12. He says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Gideon was anything but a a mighty warrior. And if it had been me, it would have been kind of, if the Lord had spoken to me, I would have been looking around and going, well, he's obviously not speaking to me. There must be a mighty warrior somewhere up here because that's not me. God, God speaks into the potential of what he could be. He doesn't call him what he is. He calls him what he's going to be. He, God sees something inside of him that even he couldn't see inside of himself. He's just keeping his head down, trying to stay away from the muck and the bullets. And God says, no, you are a mighty warrior. Do you know, I think sometimes God has a higher opinion of us than we have of ourselves. And that's not to be arrogant. Um, and that's, that's not to kind of, you know, big ourselves up or puff ourselves up. There's enough in the New Testament to tell us not to do that. And, and when we speak about humility and the New Testament speaks about humility, you know, humility is not about thinking lower of yourself than you should. It's about thinking about yourself right. We are extraordinary and we're ordinary. God speaks into your situation today and he says, actually, I've got a higher opinion of what you can achieve in me than you have. And if we can bring our thinking, if we can bring our lives, if we can bring, you know, just our whole approach to our faith into alignment with what God thinks about us, our lives could be transformed. Your lives could be transformed. And you begin to see God work in small ways, in your workplace, in your home, in your neighborhood, with your friends. God will begin to use you in ways that you could not have even believed. And then God's word creates a whole new sense of destiny and a whole new future for Gideon. He speaks over him. He says, you're the one. You're the one I'm going to call. You're the one that's going to deliver this nation from the Midianites. I mean, talk about a change of of, future, a change of destiny. How many of you know that God didn't stop creating at the end of seven days? God is still creating today. Every time God speaks, God creates. God calls the things that are not as if they are. And when God speaks a possibility and when God speaks something into your life, we have two choices, don't we? We can either believe what God has said to us and begin to act on it or we can reject it. But if we believe it and we move on it, let me tell you something, that will create something in your life that was not previously there. And that's why I was saying earlier, that's what God's about. He wants to change us and he wants to use us. And God sees something in Gideon that he doesn't see in himself. God's perspective is very different to ours. God sees what Gideon can achieve, not what he has already achieved. That's, that's a biggie for us, isn't it? 
oh, but God, you know, I haven't been to Bible college. I'm not really great at it. I'm not good at talking with people. I'm, I'm fairly mediocre with my job, and I've not really achieved much, and all of this sort of stuff. And we're pouring all this stuff, probably just much like Gideon would have done to God. And God's saying, hey, I'm not, I'm not looking at what you've done. I'm not looking at where you've come from. I'm looking at where you can go. And God sees something in him that he can use in a powerful way. Second person is this, Ananias. Some of you will have heard of Ananias. I've, put, I've said here, Ananias, the great supporting role. If you read Acts chapter 9, uh, verses 10 through to 17, um, you'll find that he was the guy that Paul, that, that, that God sent to Paul after Paul got saved. So Paul becomes a Christian in Acts chapter 9 right at the very beginning. You know, falls off the donkey, the light, the, the voice, the whole deal. And, and, and Paul is miraculously converted. And he goes into, he's blind, and he goes into the town, and, and, and what's the next step? And God comes to this guy called Ananias. Well, there's not much said about him in the Bible. All we know is he was a disciple from Damascus. Acts 22 tells us that he was devout and he was respected. That's all we know. He didn't have much about him. God is looking for character more than gift. Ananias was not a superstar. He wasn't even a church leader. And Paul gets converted. Yes, Paul, the, you know, the Christian killer. You know, the one that was going around breathing out threats and murdering the Christians. And, and, and then all of a sudden he gets this miraculous you know, salvation. And he's in a town and Ananias is there having his you know, fish and chips one night. And God comes to him and speaks to him and says, Ananias, I want you to go to this place and I want you to pray for this guy, Paul. Now, he would have heard about Paul. He would have known what Paul was about. You know, this was a suicide mission as far as Ananias was concerned. What, really? Paul, the one that's been killing us all? You want me to go and pray for him? And he does. He obeys. He lays hands on Paul. Paul's eyes are open, and Paul begins to preach immediately. And listen, all the attention then begins to switch to Paul. We don't read anything more about Ananias. That is the end of his story. We don't read of any thanks. We don't read of any praise. We don't read of Paul saying, well, I'll bring you onto my apostolic team. Come on, we're going to go and change the world. There was no TV interview, you know, no kind of, this was my part in Paul's ministry, you know, story. No books, no itinerant tours. He's not even included in the Hebrews 11 list of faith heroes. And yet he took an amazing step of faith. Ananias had one purpose and one purpose alone and he fulfilled it. And it was just simply to go to this guy, Paul, and to pray for him. And he goes and he prays and he, he sees again and he releases Paul into the most powerful evangelistic ministry the world has ever seen outside of Jesus. Now, we all know that God can work out his purposes in, in a multitude of different ways, but we have to ask the question, if he hadn't thought, if he hadn't have responded to that, if he had just said, nah, that's not for me, I couldn't do that, where would we be? Would Paul have been released in the way that Paul was released? He had one job to do, and he did it. And Ananias shows no insecurity about Paul's profile or his rise to success. Listen, let me say this to you this morning. You may only be uh, somebody that cleans up the hall or sets out the chairs. You may be just something that you think it's a very kind of really easy, simple, menial task. I tell you this. 
you have a stake in every healing, in every salvation, in everything that happens in this place and in this community when you're a part of it. We say to the guys that do as we, we meet in a school on Sundays, so we have a big setup team, and we get them to pray over the seats when they're setting out the seats and stuff like that. And we just say, look, you could be setting out a seat that somebody might get saved today. God has a divine kind of encounter for that person today, and it's on the seat you put out. How awesome is that? Please don't underestimate that. Please don't devalue that. Every contribution that you make, that I make, to the purposes of God, God can use in a miraculous and a powerful way. Third person, moving on quickly, is Peter. We all know Peter. I've called him the uneducated thug. All right, Peter was a bit of a thug. Everybody's favorite thug. You can't talk about ordinary people without talking about Peter. He was a hothead. He's the one that cut off Malchus's ear in the garden. He's the one that claimed he would never let Jesus down and then denied him three times. And all of those stories we know very well. He was an unstable guy to have in Jesus's team. But listen to me, Peter walked on water. Nobody else did. When that storm was raging and Jesus was walking towards them, and they were all going, no, it all looks a bit too risky out there for me. Peter was the one that said, I'll come. He made many, many mistakes. And we read in Acts chapter 4, you know, when he goes in front of the leaders, that they recognize, even though he was an uneducated and unlearned person, they recognized what? That he had been with Jesus. He had no formal training. He was, he was just a fisherman. All he knew was fish. Ropes and boats. That's all he knew. And God and Jesus gets a hold of this guy and, and we read Jesus say these words in Matthew sixteen eighteen. He says, Peter, on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What an awesome man. What an awesome ministry he had. Finally, and I'll finish with this guy. And, and full points to anybody who knows who this guy is. Anyone heard of somebody called Archippus? Archippus? Only mentioned once in the Bible. Colossians chapter 4, 17. Paul is writing to the church at Colossae. And he says this. He says, say to all the people and say to Archippus, take heed of the ministry that you've received in the Lord that you might fulfill it. Who on earth is Archippus? Think of all the people we could talk about, all the great heroes of faith that we could talk about. And and we're talking about Archippus this morning. Only mentioned here and only mentioned very briefly in Philemon. We believe that he was a minister in Colossae, who got involved in serving, but that's all we know of him. Not a man of great exploits, just an ordinary man, easily overlooked. We don't even know what his ministry was. It could be preaching, could be bleaching. We just don't know. But I think it's really significant that Paul, writing to the church, he says, say to the church, but especially to Archippus, take heed of the ministry that you have received in the Lord. One of the Bible unsung heroes, one of the unknowns. And Paul singles him out for a specific word and says, Archippus, keep doing what you're doing. Because God is using you. And God wants to use you. And God wants to bless you and he wants to bless other people through you. And he says, take heed, look at, contemplate, evaluate the ministry that you have received. Let me ask you this question. Do you have a ministry? Now, let's let's just get out of our brain, you know, church 
language and church vernacular. You know, we think ministry is all about, as I say, up here, you've got to be able to preach the word. You've got to be able to, you know, pray with Shakespearean language and, and all of that. And, and, you know, it's all about ministry, brother. You know, like I said earlier on, you, you, you knock on next door neighbor and just ask them, is there anything I can do to help you? That's ministry. You sit on a bus and you get talking to somebody and you begin to share your faith with them in some way or you just ask them how how their day is and you get into a conversation. That's ministry. See, we've got to debunk this whole kind of idea that that ministry is all about, you know, doing something intensely spiritual all the time. You know, God is in everything. So you have a ministry. Say to yourself, I have a ministry. Might not be able to put a label on it. We might not be able to put a tag on it. You may not have a badge that says, that's my ministry. But God has something for you to do. Because we read right at the beginning in the book of Peter. That God has given every one of us a gift. Out of his variety of gifts to get his job done. See to it that you do it. It's exactly the same words that Paul had for Archippus. Archippus, take heed to the ministry that God has given you, and see that you fulfill it. So, I really believe that you have initiative. Every single person in this room, God has given you the gift of initiative. God has given you the the gift to be able to start something, to be able to get something moving in, in a new direction, to change something, maybe even to stop something. God has given you the initiative to do that. How are you going to respond to his word this morning? We've heard God is able. Yes, he is. God is able to do anything, and he'll do it without you, and he'll do it without me. You know, if I refuse to to, to follow and I refuse to respond to the things that God's put in my he will find somebody else because God will fulfill God's purpose and God's plan. But how awful that would be that I would miss out on an opportunity of being part of God's global plan of salvation. So please, don't abdicate your responsibility. Don't abdicate your authority. Don't fall into the trap that, you know, we're just church members. You're not. You're members of the body of Christ. And every one of you has a calling. And every one of you has a place. And every one of you has a responsibility, just like myself. And all I do is only function, you know, guys like Pastor Stuart, myself, leaders, pastors, you know, sometimes we do get elevated and we get put on pedestals and we go, wow, because there's a lot of TV ministries around now and all that kind of stuff. You know, we're just functional people. Well, actually, there's quite a few of them are dysfunctional, but you know what I mean. (laughs) We won't go there. That's another story for another day but all we're doing is fulfilling a function it's just a different function to yours it's not more spiritual it's not more spiritual what we do is no more spiritual than what you do in your office place because my bible says that we're all salt and light not just when we're in church not just when we're doing a churchy thing we're involved in a churchy ministry or a churchy activity then you know God is with us. No, God's with us everywhere. God is using it. And there are opportunities around your life and around my life all of the time. If we would just say, okay, God, I believe that. I really believe that this morning. 
and I'm going to begin to act on that. Now, don't get silly and, you know, go out and do stupid things and what have you. But you know what I'm saying this morning. I think you're getting what I'm trying to say. God uses ordinary people. Every one of you this morning has a specific gift that God has tailored for your life. You are the best you that can be. You're a better you than I can be you. That's why God, you know, God doesn't do stuff by accident and by random. You are where you are because God wants you to be because you're the person, you're the man, you're the woman in that place. And there's no point in him putting me or Stuart or one of your leaders in that place because we couldn't do what you can do. Because God has called you to do what you can do. He's not called me to do what you can do. But the thing is, you're going to pick it up, you're going to carry it, you're going to walk with it. Let's pray together. Can I ask you to stand with me this morning? I've rambled a bit, I do realize that. Um, But I think the key really, right from the very beginning this morning, right from that first word and through the words that were being shared this morning, I think that the the key is, yes, we've talked about trusting God. We've talked about the, the fact that God is with us, but we've got to put some legs on this stuff. You know, we've got to put some wheels on it. We've got to start to let the truth of God's word propel us towards action and response and I'm sure that you know theologically that we're all equal I'm sure that you all know that theologically we are equal most of you know that I guess but it doesn't seem to percolate down and filter down into the realities of our life and when you leave even today you've done your church thing and you're going to going to work tomorrow morning, are you the same person going into church, uh, going into work tomorrow morning that you are standing here right now under God's word? You are. Does that mean that you've got to go in then and start blasting everybody with the Bible and bashing them over the head with, you know, you dirty, rotten, stinking sinners, you should be going to hell? Of course not. To be salt and light. Grace. But there are opportunities around your life And maybe even some of those things I mentioned earlier, you know, maybe God's calling something out of you. There might be a book here. There might be a new business here. There might be something here that's in your heart. And God's calling out of you. And you've not taken that step to this point. But today, God's saying, now's the time to take that step. If it's just chatting with your neighbor, start chatting with your neighbor. You'll be amazed at what God will do. Open up all kinds of opportunities. So, Father, we thank you this morning for being with us. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for the reassurance of your word to us all through the morning, that you are with us, that you love us, that you care for us, that you are a God who is able to do more imaginably, immeasurably more than we can ever ask or think. And yet, Lord, today you're saying to each and every one of us, we're ordinary and we're extraordinary. We don't have to be a superstar to be servants of the living God. And I pray, Lord, that something of what we've said today will just percolate into our spirit and, 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 and we will begin to take a hold of that gift of initiative that's been robbed from us for all kinds of different reasons. And we begin to be the people that you call us to be. Really, really quickly, and my time has gone, I apologize, I've gone over a little bit. You know, if there's people here, I, I just want you, if, if something that we've said this morning has really kind of spoken to you, I want you to just lift your hand, I want to pray with you this morning. Okay. I'm assuming everybody else is already going for it and in there. 
But come on, let's put it up really nice and high and say, God, this morning, I want to become an initiator. Okay, I may not change the world, I may not preach to millions, but I can change my world and I can preach to one. And I can be salt and light and I can be a life-changing agent in the life of somebody around me. If only I would step out of my comfort zone. Lord, I pray for every hand that is raised this morning. Every one of them is a different context. Every one of them has a different life. But you are speaking into their journey right now. And you're calling us to a higher place. You're calling us to a place of serving you and exercising the authority and the initiative that you won for us on the cross. Lord, let this be an ongoing story for us. We ask this in the name of Jesus and for your glory. Amen. The Lord bless you guys.